Welcome to High Notes, a podcast on the art and business of voice. My name is Melissa, and I've worked commercially with my voice for over 27 years. In this podcast, I'll be talking to those who consistently hit the high notes in our industry, and we'll be exploring the craft and creativity behind the business. Whether you're a seasoned voice professional or simply curious about the magic that happens in front or behind the microphone, this podcast is your backstage pass to learning just some of the secrets of the trade. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to High Notes on your favourite podcast app. And be sure to check out the show notes at brava.uk.com slash podcast for more information about this episode and more. Earlier this year, Sebastian and I met for an online Brava Q&A about his Extreme Voicing series. High Notes. High Notes. A podcast on the art and business of voice. We are here for a really interesting talk today. He began teaching metal voices and throat singing 15 years ago. He's trained hundreds of vocalists in vocal distortion, extreme sounds and creature voice design. He's also worked on more than 30 games. There's a whole list of them. Guardians of the Galaxy, Tomb Raider, Rainbow Six Siege, Outbreak, Prince of Persia, Assassin's Creed 2. The list goes on and on. And he's lent his voice to more than 200 characters. I don't know if you're sensing that he might be a bit of an overachiever. I'm not sure. Um, So... Sebastian now runs a company called The Monster Factory, which is a talent agency that specializes in extreme sounds. So a very warm welcome to Sebastian Croteau. Welcome to Brava. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for the invitation. I'm just listening to your presentation. Like I'm already tired. I'm (laughs) tired too. I mean, you know, you've achieved so much. High notes. High notes. Let's start right at the beginning. I'm so thrilled to speak to you. I've been so excited about it. Keep getting texts from people going, Tibetan throat singer. It's like, yeah, I know. So talk to us about your journey, first of all, as a metal vocalist, because I know this has been a really big part of your life. I'm going to be really honest and say, I don't really know what death metal is. Think of Metallica, but 10 times faster and heavier. The voice is usually way lower and for most people, the voice sound like Cookie Monster. Cheers for Cookie. That's good enough for me. <laughs> like when people listen for the first time to death metal, usually it sounds like Cookie Monster is singing. All and right. they're right because we're actually using the same voice technique, except with less pressure. That's so interesting. You're going to have to send me some links to some death metal after this so I can listen to it. So how did your journey as a metal vocalist lead to you creating monster and creature voices in video games? So the thing in my my journey with my voice began when I was a choir boy. Because before singing metal, I was actually uh, singing in a choir when I was like seven or eight. So it already gave me a singing background, singing experience how to breed, how to, to, to project, and how, okay, because I was sometimes the only, the only one singing in the church in Quebec. So I already had that behind me when I discovered metal music. And, you know, when I started to listen to metal music in 1989, 1990, there was no YouTube. There was no tutorial on how to do extreme voices. There was no nothing. And this is true for most metal vocalists who have done this for a long time. It's trial and error. 
So you listen to the sound that is produced by the singer and you try to imitate it or to, to, to do the same kind of thing. And I was lucky because of my previous experience as a choir boy. When I started to sing, I think I did have the right voice technique in a sense that I was projecting, I was not hurting. Sometimes I was coughing a little, but that's some, probably we'll discuss it later. Sometime in vocal distortion, coughing is not as bad as we think. It's sometimes part of the training process. So I started imitating the voice that I was hearing. And then at some point we had an arcade, you know, where people go and play video games back in the day when nobody really bought a video game console. And I remember I was singing in the parking lot, like trying to do a voice and someone just passed by the arcade and say, hey, I'm looking for a singer in my band. Would you be interested? I'm like, yeah, let's give it a try. You know, you, you never know. And that's how I got started into metal music. And of course, I am still doing it. I've done that for a long time. But around 97, 96, 96, 97, I, and I don't know if some of you have seen that movie, the movie Baraka, where it's a movie where there's like basically just images around the world and music from Dead Can Dance from like a lot of different bands. And in that movie, I could hear a guy doing a diphonic singing, so harmonic singing. Okay. And I was like, this is impossible. Like, I couldn't believe that someone could do two sound at the same time because I've always been fascinated by, by the voices. Mm-hmm. And then I discovered it was actually someone who could do that kind of thing. And I was lucky enough to find a teacher in Montreal mm-hmm. that was teaching trout singing and diphonic singing. So I started to have lessons with him. And then after that, I was lucky enough to actually train with people from Mongolia, namely the band Un Urtu, which in the 90s and still is, was one of the big throat singing band touring the world. I was lucky enough also to, to study with Inuit throat singers, with Tibetan monks, and with people from Mongolia, specialists from Paris and in the United States. And of course, you know, when you do weird sound, people notice you. And I had a friend actually who started to work at Ubisoft Montreal. Mm-hmm. And he heard one of the audio producers, they were looking for weird sound for Monster and Creature. And he actually gave my name. He said, hey, this guy's doing like this, this, this with his voice. I'm sure like if you talk with him, like you, you, you might find what you're looking for. So the guy messaged me. I went through the meeting and he showed me the visual, the creature that they wanted me to voice. And I was like, oh, this creature, we could do that. This creature, we could do that. And then I left the meeting and I never heard about it. Never heard about him for like eight months. I was like, I really thought that I blew off my first meeting or uh, whatever slash audition uh, I had because I wasn't aware of the delay and the time it takes to do stuff in video games because that, yeah. that is one thing that I've learned is patience is key. <laughs> patience is key sometime in the video game. And they call me back. They asked me to go in the studio. And the thing is, all the creature has changed. Like all the, 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 the voice that I thought that I would do, I have to like change it or adapt it to what was requested of me. Right. And since it was the first time, we did eight hours of recording oh my for two days straight. So imagine screaming no. for eight hours. Of course, I had breaks, but screaming for eight no. hours for two Can't days. imagine that. I'll be really honest with you. That's the part of this job that I that I really dread the most. And I yeah. I don't even know how you would do that. 
And even someone as strained as me, I can remember I had blood in my saliva at oh, the lovely. end of it. So for me, that was like, okay, maybe that's a little too much. <laughs> oh my gosh. But it was my first time and I really wanted to impress them. So I was like, okay. And for them, like, are you good for one, eight hours? Well, I can try. I'm sure I can, I can do that. And, and I think I did a good impression because afterwards they actually called me to do voices for Assassin's Creed 2. And if you played Assassin's Creed 2, you have a poison blade and sometimes you poison people. So they asked me to record two hours of choking sound for all the people that are actually (laughs) choking on the poison, choking on the mucus. So I remember just like doing choking sound for two hours. And then I went on and I started to do Prince of Persia and the rest, we can talk about it later because I assume you have other questions. I've got tons of questions. That was just question number one. So we might be here sometime. Uh, No, but it's so fascinating. High notes. I don't normally ask people to do their tricks, but I am just really fascinated could you give us an example of uh, an inuit throat sound and a mongolian throat sound and then how that might transfer into a creature sound because lots of people here are advanced actors lots of people here right at the beginning of their journey some people until yesterday didn't even know what extreme voices or efforts were so could you give us some examples absolutely the thing is one thing that i've learned from my experience, it might not be the same for, for everyone, but throat singing and the control you get with parts of your instrument really help my extreme voices. In the sense that I remember when I started to do throat singing, my metal voice just got so much better. I had so much more control on pressure level, on how I was actually able to project on the time that I was able also to do that kind of thing. So. There's tons of different styles of throat singing, but let's go with the main one, right? So there's what we call Tuvan Mongolian throat singing, which is usually higher than Tibetan throat singing, Tibetan throat singing being lower. So let's say that I I go with Tuvan throat singing. And then you can actually use the tongue to select overtone. I know it sounds like a razor or a lawnmower. I can stay it for an hour and listen to after the day I've had. It's it's very soporific. So this is closer to Tuvan Mongolian troll singer because the Tibetan style is usually way lower and less loud. And the thing is, there's much more air that goes through because it's in a lower larynx position, right? So there's more air going out. The thing with Inuit throat singing is that it's not that far from bow technique. Because if you listen to Inuit throat singers, sometimes they do like this. Usually there's two women, right? This is not this is yeah. something that only women do in the Inuit culture. Like I'm probably breaking <laughs> breaking. I was gonna the, say, how do they the feel Inuit about you law. doing it? Yeah, do they are they okay? No, but I, I love doing it because I love the sound. But that's the thing, like if you listen closely to the voice technique, um, 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 if you hold it, 
It's Tuvan Mongolian short singing. And there's another voice technique that they use with ventricular folds, namely false vocal cord, for people who don't know the scientific terminology. And it's... So that is actually something we use in death metal in terms of voice technique. And how do I know that? It's because in 1997, I went to a ENT doctor because they were actually, because vocal distortion has been a long time considered vocal abuse. Okay. Right? And it's only around 1994 or 96 that some people started to do scientific studies about him. And they started to show that we could actually control what we were doing. Because before that, like probably most every ENT doctor thought that is what vocal dysphonia, that we could do what we were doing because we had the problem with the voice. So when I went to see uh, one of the best ENT doctors in Canada, because we were doing a research on Tibetan throat singing, I remember I was me, one of my other death metal vocalist friend, Marie-Hélène, which is a woman, a Tibetan monks and one in a with throat singer. And usually it's kind of the start of a bad joke. Hey, there's a Tibetan monk and a with throat singers and two death metal singers going to, <laughs> to the doctor. <laughs> and we had laryngoscopic exam, but back in the days, the camera was like huge. It was not through the nose. It was something like this big that we had to put in our mouth. So I could only hold it for like 10 seconds. Okay. But what we saw in there is that what we were using to produce the distortion was the exact same thing as Tibetan trill singers, Mongolian trill singers, and Inuit trill singers. It is only that we use it a little bit differently. The yeah. vibration pattern is a little bit different, but we were using ventricular folds. So for me, that was like, wow, so... We did not, like as metal vocalists, I always thought we invented something. We did not. We just took from those voice technique and did something else with it. But it's actually pretty close because even if you look at the sound wave, when you analyze the sound waves of Tibetan throat singing and metal, death metal voices, you can clearly see that we are producing what we call subharmonic. Now I'm going to get a little geeky. I'm sorry. And subharmonic mean, meaning that we are able to produce a sound below the fundamental note that we're singing. Okay. Because if we go back to the sound example I was doing, oh, most people will think that I sing low. Oh, that's not actually the case. If I take out the distortion when I do that, oh, oh, so the resulting sound that you hear can appear low, but it's not. It's like a magic right. trick. I'm producing something below the fundamental note. And metal vocalists do the exact same thing, except the subharmonic is not clear because in Tuvan and Tibetan throat singing, we actually produce a subharmonic exactly one octave below the note that we're singing. Okay. In metal music, we do produce a subharmonic but it's just a bunch of frequencies like stuck together down there, but we're still producing subharmonic. 
And for me, that was, again, a big revelation because I was like, okay, so what I do comes from a tradition and people have been doing what we consider vocal abuse, Mm. but for centuries, Mm. if not more. Did they change the way they did that? No, still doing the same. High notes. Just this last 10 minutes is mind blowing anyway, (laughs) by the way, you know, just listening to you produce those voices. I have experienced Tibetan throat singing before, not myself, but I did go to meet the Dalai Lama, not in Tibet, obviously, in Dharamshala in India. And there was a lot, there were a lot of Tibetan monks. There was a lot of that happening. This is going to sound like a really stupid question, but is there like a pattern to the song or is it just a chant? Is Is it a chant that continues on and on and that's it or are are there kind of patterns to it does that make sense the thing is for me i'm mostly interested in the sound rather than the spiritual aspect of throat singing yeah and because i love to explore the voice and its possibilities and for me like i don't like i i had a band after necrotic mutation we did throat singing music and i remember we had a prayer that is used in Tuvan music that is comes from Tibet, and they use that in their own music. So usually when I do that, I don't go into chanting, and I don't recite Tibetan lyrics or Tibetan prayers. I'm mostly doing it for the sound, because that sound for me, like throat singing, it's so calming. Becomes, you know, if we go to the fact that we are all vibration. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Right? Doing that, for me, the the effect that I feel when I do that, it's like I just focus on that. There's nothing else happening. Mm. And and I make my whole body vibrate in unison. Mm. And that is probably why they use that voice technique. Even there, there's a spiritual aspect to it. It's because it makes the body vibrate in a very specific frequency. And this so, is why I love it so much. But it's good. Your passion is clear. That is for sure. <laughs> I'm just, so what, t- tell me how you've taken those sounds and moved them into yeah. creature voices. Show us some of that if you're happy to. The thing is, I was, I was talking about the control I got from throat singing, right? Because one thing with the voice is that usually we have what I would call a monolithic approach with the voice. Like we don't work all the parts, right? When I speak, I don't think about my larynx placement. I don't think about the opening and closing of my self palate. I don't think about the way that my resonance chamber is placed, right? This is kind of automated, right? And the thing I love about throat singing, it enables you to control tiny parts in ways that are not usual, Mm. right? Because except when we are babies, because that's the thing, a lot of people say, well, vocal distortion is hard. And I'm always say like, remember, you were once a metal vocalist. And they say, why? When you were a baby, you were doing this. (laughs) So you were actually doing vocal distortion without having any vocal coach, you were doing it instinctively. So this is something that is built in the voice. And most of the time when I talk to people, my job is basically to help you remember that because it's there. 
So this is interesting. So are you saying to me that you could teach anyone these techniques? Absolutely. Because we all have the same parts. Of course, the sound. Let, let's just take men and women, right? Women have a, a, a less longer larynx. It produces a tiny bit uh, different sound, but you all have ventricular folds. You have aeropigratus fold. You have vocal cord. You have a resonance chamber. You know, you have a soft palate like Everyone has the same part. So everyone can actually learn how to do those sounds. So let me go back to your question, because I think I, I, I've strayed. <laughs> I've strayed a little bit. So by gaining control over those parts, I can try them with different pressure levels. So let's just go with, let's say, Tibetan throat singing. Oh, hello. I can actually try talking like this and do a really creepy voice and if you listen to the voice of the urukai in lord of the ring meet us back on the menu boy it's actually a throat singing bass voice technique which is ventricular false vibration right so that i can just have less pressure than in tuvan and tibetan throat singing and use that or I can increase the pressure from oh my God. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> do that again. Wait, do that again. So Okay. And most people would say, Oh, you're using something else, right? No. I use ventricular folds. The only thing that I'm changing is the pressure level. And of course, like when you augment any kind of pressure level when you sing or you use your voice what vibrate vibrate faster okay. right yeah. so if i do like you would see the vocal cord vibrating faster than if i was doing just this yeah you would see like very slow vibration so the thing is because i had the laryngoscopic exam three months ago for my let's say, bi-annual annual checkup. I love how intimate we're getting on this. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, no, no. And, <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, I have to go back again because when we recorded, we forgot to record the sound. <laughs> and that is very important because I wanted to show people exactly what I use for which type of voice effect. So I'm going back in November and I'm going to have a camera crew take everything. But for the doctor, because it was their first time examining me, they were like, we don't understand because even when they treat teacher for voice dysphonia, yeah. some of their exam, it shows that they're using a lot of ventricular folds, so false vocal cord. And they were like, we teach them not to use them. But you, you're all about using ventricular folds, like for throat singing, for death metal, and even for what I would call rock voice. You know, when people do, yeah, 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 yeah. And that I taught, even myself, I thought the distortion was coming from my vocal cord. And what we saw in the laryngoscopic exam is I'm still using a lot of my ventricle folds. Okay. Right. And I was like, wow, OK, so I'm, I'm using that a lot. And for them, like, they were like, holy hell. So if we take, for example, Tuvan troll singing, I am a robot, I can use voice technique too. So 
This is another example. One type of voice that we do is called inhale voice technique, mm -hmm. right? And this is quite different. It's another extreme voice technique, but it's actually producing sound while inhaling. And it's quite unusual because we're not used to produce sound while inhaling. We produce sound exhaling, right? And this is something that the vocal distortion is done on the vocal cords. So if I do something like and I can produce with the different larynx placement. Sound it's that so can good. It's be so good. considered uh, close to some of you might know the clickers from The Last of Us 2. This is how actually they, they did the voice. Some other sound effect that we can produce, we use the uvula. You know the little thing that is dangling back there? Uh, most of us don't know how to trigger it, but you can actually do that with, with it. <clears throat> And if you saw some interview with actually the voice actor who did the Predator voice mm -hmm. from the Predator movies, Peter Collin, this is actually what he used, uvula vibration. And you can mix this with something with, with let's say, the false vocal cord to create something like... <laughs> voice like that. So all this is derived from, of course, my exploration of my voice, but from the control I got with it from throat singing. My mind, my mind is, we're 27 minutes into this. I, I can see some of the faces in this room. I know, like, it's, but it's incredible. Hell. More high notes, high notes right after this. This podcast is brought to you by Brava, Bristol Academy of Voice Acting. We provide personalised online training in the art and business of VO. So if you're just starting out, or if you want to elevate your voice skill set, we have the training that will be right for you. Our personalised one-to-one sessions are taught by experienced, supportive master coaches who will help you to find your signature style and build the confidence to captivate any audience. To find out more, visit brava.uk.com and keep up to date with all our news by subscribing to our newsletter at brava.uk.com slash subscribe. High Notes. High Notes. A podcast on the art and business of voice. All I keep thinking is how on earth do you do that for a four-hour session or a two-hour session? The thing, I have 33 years of training. And because I've been doing voices for video games since 2005. So I've been doing almost exclusively creature voice acting for the last 18 years. This is my specialty. Like if like some of you might have glimpse at my movie collection, like this is mostly horror and sci-fi movie because I, I listen a lot to, to, to everything that involves creature and monster because that's the thing in the video game industry Probably 99.9% of all the voices for monster and creature are done with animal sound libraries. Or something called Dehumanizer, which is a software that modifies the voice in real time. 
So having people who can do that naturally is something fairly new, but not that new because Dee Bradley Baker yes, in the United States has been doing it for quite a while. Maybe not that extreme, no, but creature, creature voice acting yeah, creature has, has been around for a long time. It's not something that is really popular among necessarily voice actors and voice actresses, mostly because the level of training it takes to actually be able to master that, like it's years and years and years and years and years. Mm. Like if you look at any rock or metal vocalist, like it didn't take a month or a couple of weeks or one year to get comfortable with vocal distortion and to have that vocal endurance. It's mm. something that can take at least three to four years right. to get comfortable with some of the stuff, not everything, you know? Because I give a lot of workshop and a lot of people were like, wow, it's so cool. I want to do that. And I'm always like, try to remind them. Yeah. This is going to take time, focus, and, and you have to dedicate yourself to that almost exclusively. What's your advice in getting started for, for those of us that are already voice actors and perhaps would like to start playing around with little monster or creature sounds? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. what, what's your advice to them? Don't go on YouTube to, to go for a video tutorial about vocal distortion. Don't go there. I can actually, like, I could send you a list of channels that are scientifically accurate. Because there's a lot of stuff out there on YouTube about vocal distortion that is absolutely scientifically inaccurate. If you okay. think about the scientific studies, like, sometime I go in there just for fun and I look at some tutorial and most of the time, it starts like this. You have to push from your diaphragm. I'm sure a lot of people in voice acting or in singing have heard that once in their life. Use your diaphragm to push. If you Google diaphragm and you look how it really works, you will see that the diaphragm is only contracted because it's a muscle when you inhale, not when you exhale. When you exhale, it's the upper abdominal muscle, the oblique, the intercostal muscle, and some muscle on the back and in the lower back. That are the muscles that are contracting for you to expulse the air, okay. right? Uh, uh, so when, when I see someone starting a video like this, and I know that it's scientifically inaccurate, I'm not listening to the rest of it. Because if he's wrong on something as simple and easily Googleable. <laughs> as breathing and the role of the diaphragm, like, no, I'm, 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 I'm not going to listen to the rest. So there's a few channels. I'm going to give you an example. One of my good friend, Mary Zimmer, she's from United States, Las Vegas. She has a, a YouTube channel called Voice Act. This one is really good and it's scientifically accurate. Another friend of mine, Aliki Katriu, she's actually has a lot of video tutorial on Extreme Voices. Another good friend of mine, Tony Lincoln, has an incredibly precise series on YouTube about rough vocal effect. And the thing is, they're so good because they know the science. And they, 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 they've read all the medical, all the scientific studies about rough vocal effect. Because, you know, I asked one of my friends actually to do a bibliography of all the, the research that has been done on rough vocal effect and extreme voices. And we've been doing research since 1996. And there, there has been like dozens and dozens and dozens of scientific research about 
rough vocal effect, but in singing. Because if you look in video game, there's only three scientific research about extreme voices. One research is actually saying there's not enough research. So, so, so that's one. Usually, if you look on rough vocal effects studies, there's one that has been done over the course of 14 years with 20 rock and metal vocalists, and they did all the exam plus the laryngoscopic exam to go in there and see if there's a problem. And even with the dozen of dozen of medical study that we have for rough vocal effect, it's still not enough. There's still a lot of stuff we don't know. And the problem is, like, it's not enough data. Like, we cannot conclude with the amount of people that participated to those rough vocal effect studies. Like, mm-hmm. categorically, this is the way to do it. What tips have you got for those of us that are creating sounds that, that can help protect our voice, I guess? Like, I'm going to do a whole workshop on that, so it's hard to summarize it. But, but the thing <laughs> is... one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, if you want to get good at vocal distortion, you have to engage vocal distortion. Like, nobody was good at vocal distortion. Learn how to do it by doing lip trills and humming. Because some people would like you to think that if you just do that, you're going to be good with vocal distortion. Mm-hmm. Or strophonation, or what we call semi-occluded uh, uh, vocal track exercises, the SOVT exercises. But this is not how you learn how to, like, ask any rock or metal vocalist on the surface of the planet. And, and if you ask them how they got good at what they do, nobody's going to answer that's impossible you have to start engaging vocal distortion but there are way to safely engage them i'm going to give you another example if we talk about eripiglottis fold not even false vocal cord or vocal cord eripiglottis fold is something that we can use and you've all heard it if you listen to jazz once when you hear Louis Armstrong. Is that the Louis Armstrong sound? Uh, exactly. And this kind of vibration is done with Eripiglottis fold, which is another set of fold, a tiny one on the side. The problem with that is if you lower your larynx, uh, you can do like a monster voice, but you cannot project with it because those are not designed to sustain the pressure needed for that kind of thing. But you still got to explore it. Because you want to be able to build muscle memory, mm. learn how to get comfortable with those sound. And sometimes like you just need to do that for like a few seconds. Mm. And over time, by incorporating vocal distortion in your routine and by knowing exactly how to warm up for this kind of thing. And believe me, it's not lip trill and humming. <laughs> those are good cool down exercises. Those are amazing, but it's after that you can use them. Over time, you will get the control and the vocal endurance necessary to actually go through a two, three, four hours of recording session. Because most of my recording session and the recording session of my voice talent is minimum three hours. Minimum three hours. So imagine three hours of doing those sound and being okay. Because that's the thing when I got my laryngoscopic exam. Like the doctor, again, were baffled because they were like, you have nothing. Like you have an extra amount of saliva, more than most people. But that's it. You are vocally healthy. 
So how can someone be vocally healthy after 33 years of screaming? Well, they must be doing it safely. Yeah, so or, or, or there must be a way. And that's the thing. When I give workshop, because if you look at tutorial on YouTube and some, some people say, hey, try and warm up like this. The problem is it's not designed for your voice. Mm. It's generic, right? Because, and that's for me a problem I have sometimes with giving workshop and, and vocal coaching in general. If we never do a vocal assessment before giving warm up. And for me, if I am to send an athlete to the Olympic, the first thing I will do before giving him a training program will be a physical evaluation. So would you do that with our workshop? Will you be evaluating us? Usually that's the kind of thing that I have to do one-on-one -on -one because it mm -hmm. takes at least two hours of me asking you to do certain sounds, seeing your level of control with it, seeing like a lot of different variables because this is something that in a group setting that is hard, absolutely hard for me uh, to do. But most vocal coach don't offer that one-on-one. -on -one. What we do is we have a little workshop. We tell you about, and I'm not saying, saying it's a bad thing, but for me, there's something missing in mm -hmm. vocal coaching. There's vocal assessment mm -hmm. that you need to do before giving somewhat a warm-up routine. Mm -hmm. This is for me absolutely missing from vocal coaching. Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting. And even today with this talk, we know that we the workshop is going to be digging in a little bit deeper, but it's not going yeah. to be we're all ready to start and go off and do these incredible monster and creature sounds. But I'm going to move on to the next few questions and then I'm going to invite some uh, other questions <laughs> from the participants, if that's all right. So could you tell us more about the inception of the Monster Factory? What drove you to take these wonderful talents that you found you had and got booked in a car park, which is the best bit of the story, to creating the Monster Factory? Tell us about that journey. Actually, it was what I, what I would call a happy accident. It, it's because over time, when I started to do voices, at some point, video game company asked me, hey, do you have any friends? And of course, doing metal music, we don't have friends, right? We, we are lonely in our basement. No, I'm joking. Like, of course, I have tons of other metal vocalists, men and women that I know in Montreal. I was like, yeah, I know a few. Like, you need female voices, you need male voices. What are you looking for specifically? And then gradually, we started to get more people involved in that. Until, until 2018, I was like, like, because when I started, I had a contract every two years and then after a couple of years it was one contract every year and before it became something that triggers something in my mind like, hey maybe i should create a company out of this right it took a long time it took actually 15 years <laughs> something like that uh, before i realized this could be potentially a niche market for some of us. And when I say some of us, it's mostly people who are proficient at vocal distortion, mostly metal vocalists, right? A lot of other people are, are good at it, but the, their level of endurance with that kind of stuff and the way they can actually do that. And of course, I'm not saying if you're a metal vocalist, you're a voice actor. Being able to scream doesn't make give you the capacity to be a creature voice actor. Of course, you have a starting point, but you have so much to learn. Same thing like adding a voice doesn't make you a singer, right? Yeah. <laughs> it takes training. So I trained them 
because I've been doing it for, for so long. So at some point I was like, I incorporated a company. And also when we work on Guardian of the Galaxy, we did some voices in English because most of the stuff we do is scriptless. We don't have any script line. Okay. Sometimes I do have script line. In Tomb Raider, I had some script line in a Mayan language. In Prince of Persia, I had some script line in Farsi. In Guardian of the Galaxy, I had some script line in English. And probably from hearing me speak, you would say, hey, you have an accent when you speak English. Not when I do vocal distortion. Okay. Vocal distortion masks the accent. Interesting. Because you can hear I'm French-Canadian. Probably. I can hear it. <laughs> I can hear it. Uh, from a beautiful place. Montreal is amazing, isn't it? High notes. With the increasing demand for realistic game audio, how do you see the future of voice acting, particularly in the area of monster and creature voices evolving? I mean, I'm guessing you might have wrapped up most of the market with your services. I don't know. Is there room for more of us? You know, where is it going to go? There's room. But the thing is, and this is why I travel so much, because I do give a lot of conferences. I'm lucky enough to be able to travel around the world for my passion. We almost met at GDC. We last did. Year. We must have been like ships <laughs> of the night. I was in my posh uh, coffee shop and you were in five blocks down the road. I will be in Los Angeles next week for the Game SoundCon. I'm going to be in Belgium for another. The thing is, because people usually use animal sound libraries, right? Sound designer, voice designer, audio director, they are used to that. So this is why someone has to get out there and tell them that there's another option. And right now, if you look at talent agency that do have creature voice actor, they don't go out there. They don't try to develop the market because the market, like I said, 99.9% .9 of all the creature and monster voices are done with animals and library. So it's like this, right? So it's small. So, so, so this is why for me, it's still really a niche market. Like if you go into that, and you think, well, I'm going to have a lot of opportunities. And no, that's not the case. Like for me, it took me 18 years mm. to get to the point where now I can actually record almost every week. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, listening to you is making me think that I'm probably never going to utter another monster or creature sound ever again. <laughs> it's like, oh, I think I'll just pass everyone on to you. No, but, but remember, there's cute creature that doesn't require necessarily huge cute. vocal distortion. Okay, thank you. I'll do the cute that, creatures then. Th okay, that, that, that you can do. But the thing is, it's, it's one of my arguments with my client is that when you use animal sound library, there's no performance. It's actually taking random sound from animal and try to create an emotion out of that. Show us. A, Can you show let's us? Say I need a to... humanoid emotion, right? Okay. And that's the problem because you all know as being voice actors and actresses that intent is a huge part of what we do. And we don't know the intent behind the sound of those animals. It could be so random as, hey, I'm, I'm a pig, I'm happy, and I'm, I'm just rolling in you know, in my own shit. I'm sorry to say it like this. Or Lovely I'm a bear image. and I'm scratching my back. Or, or the thing is, you cannot create sadness, fear, anger with just a mix up of random intent. For me, it doesn't work. So first, there's a performance that we can do that animal sound libraries cannot. For sound designers who work with animal sound libraries, sometimes it takes months to create the same voice effect that they can naturally do. So I usually tell them, you're going to save time. 
And time is money. Because all the time you will spend creating those sounds, I can do them like this. Right. And I can do voice match on cutscenes and video animation like this. After that, if you want to play with it, you know, put a monkey with my voice, I don't know, whatever, layered a goat. It happened once, they layered a goat with, with some, of, some of the a goat sound that I did for a video game. But we saved them time. So again, it's still a niche market. It will stay a niche market for a long time because right now I'm the only one getting out there to try and convince Sojo director to, hey, see, there's a new option. There's another option. Simon has asked a really interesting and brilliant question. Really interested to know how long it takes you to warm up to give an extreme voicing performance. Yep. And if you have a favorite voice warm up technique you could share with us, please. So I do take 20 to 30 minutes really? of, of warm up of warm up exercises, mostly because what I do with my voice require a level of sensibility and control. So I need to make sure every little part mm. are actually going to be able to work together. Mm -hmm. Right. The thing is with vocal distortion, most metal vocalists who have problem or voice dysphonia because of what they do, it mostly come from a lack of control of the pressure level, right? Because for everything that vibrates, you have to have a really precise amount of pressure apply, right? It's, it's all about pressure and vibration. And most people neglect that. So for me, one of the things that I do the most out of 30 minutes of warm up exercises, I do 15 minutes of breathing exercises. Right. Because I want to make sure all the muscle, because the thing with extreme voices, it's another level of muscular contraction. Because if you don't have a proper muscular contraction of if your muscle get tired, you won't be able to generate the precise amount of pressure you need to sustain the, mm -hmm. the rough vocal effect, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I spend a lot of time doing that. And then most of the time what I do, because, you know, we talk earlier about triggering different kinds of rough vocal effects, but really safely with minimal pressure. This is basically when I'm my first exercises. I do vocal fry. Because some of this distortion that I will probably do is coming from my vocal cords. Then I do some... <clears throat> You know, and, and so for some people who have a hard time triggering false vocal cord, you know, when you listen to someone like me who is way boring and you're like, <sighs> you're not boring. And you do like a sigh like this, this sound, <sighs> you trigger ventricular folds. But the thing is, you will feel that if you don't have the proper muscular contraction of the abdominal, it's impossible to do the sound because you need a little push, right? So I will do that kind of exercise. It's just really low, minimal pressure. Then I will try to hold it as much as possible. And then, because that's a thing with extreme voices, like we talked about a Tuvan and Mongolian throat singing and Tibetan throat singing. If you look at the vibration pattern of the ventricular folds, it's a synchronized vibration pattern. If you look at the vibration pattern from extreme voices, it's what we could call a periodical vibration pattern or unsynchronized vibration pattern. So this is why when I actually try and warm up for extreme voices, 
I have to practice and do all the unsynchronized vibration pattern I can do. So that, and then also one of the exercises that I do when I want to warm up for louder sound, I do an exercise that I call the gorilla. You know, when gorilla, they get angry, they start really low. So I don't sustain the sound. I just do short right. bursts, but I slowly amend the pressure level. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there's a whole series of exercises that I do, even tongue exercises like stretching the tongue, mm -hmm. playing also with the resonance chamber, because this is something that people forget about is the fact that this is your resonance chamber. If you're not aware of your jaw position, Mm -hmm. and how your cheek are tense or not. Because that's the thing, when we produce sound, it goes in there. And if the wall of your resonance chamber are soft, guess what will happen? Part of the sound that you're producing will be absorbed. And you don't want that. If you look at the way that I'm doing trout singing, look at my jaw, look at what's happening. Every time, whatever voice taking I'm doing, my cheek are tense. Why? Because instead of having the sound that I produce being partly absorbed, it is actually reverberating way more. So this is another aspect that you can actually fine tune with throat singing, because there are some throat singing exercises for that. But mostly breathing exercises and try and engage every little rough vocal effect you can, right? my mind is on honestly i've just got so much kind of whizzing around in it but i'm really interested to know when you do the workshop for us we will be working i'm assuming on just the very very baby steps and i should say Absolutely. to everybody here tonight that this is honestly really advanced it's an extreme part of voice acting so for those of you that are relatively new please don't think that you have to master this in a year no 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 no, no. It's, a, it's a completely separate thing but it's still fascinating and interesting and for us if we could just take one percent away from you of you know a few techniques or some understanding about how to look after our voices when we're in sessions with clients because yeah. i can tell you right now I don't think I've ever been in a session where a client has said, is your voice okay? The yeah. client has said, we'll leave your, your stuff to the end and then you have to do them anyway. You know, there's no, there's nothing. So if you and, can take 1% away from this, then that's, that's maybe the aim. Please don't do what. And just, <laughs> no, of course. And just so you know, I'm actually teaching in the National Institute of Sound and Image in Montreal, which is a huge educational institution. And I'm actually teaching three things, emote, environmental sound, how to do them properly and how to be able to produce good variation, because that's something in video games that is absolutely necessary. I do teach vocal distortion and warm up, and I do teach creature and monster sound to voice talent who don't have any experience in creature and monster sound. Yeah. So I'm really prudent in the way that I'm working, especially with people whose job is directly linked with their voice. Because this is something like I'm teaching the same thing when I'm teaching a metal enthusiast how to like scream like his favorite singer, right? I'm teaching the exact same thing. But with voice talent that are into voice acting, like 
I have to give a lot more explanation because their fear of hurting their voice yes. necessitate me explaining it a little bit more than just some people who just want to do like like this, like there's some people, but you work with your voice. So I can understand all the fear and insecurity that you can get from, hey, uh, you know, it's going to show me how to do vocal distortion. I'm really careful about the way I teach stuff, especially because I know that you are using your voice as a source of revenue, right? Well, listen, we are coming up to time now and it would be so easy to overrun. I've got so many questions to of ask you. But, we, we could chat um, another two hours. <laughs> I know. Well, we always talk quite a lot in the, in the sessions we've had already. But listen, honestly, it was such an incredible fascinating insight into your world into making those sounds it's blown my mind for sure we will see you again in January uh, to absolutely that came tonight thank you I really hope you've enjoyed it please don't go away thinking you have to master this this was just a, a really informative no. interesting session like I said at the beginning you were once every one of you w was a metal vocalist at birth you can all do vocal distortion without anyone teaching you. You already did. And like I said, my job is to help you remember that. So this well, is I something that's that such a brilliant challenge because I just feel like I want to get in a room now and start getting everyone in and start playing. Right. And, <laughs> and that's what we need to do. We need to play and not take everything really seriously and think we've always got to be delivering. Very rapidly. The thing with vocal distortion is that as an adult, the way we experience vocal distortion is usually linked to negative emotion or experience. When we're coughing, <laughs> we're triggering false vocal cord. So we're sick when we're vomiting. Yes. We're triggering false vocal cord. So we're sick. When we're angry, ah, we're triggering vocal cord distortion. When we have pain, ah, we're triggering vocal cord distortion. So as an adult, every form of vocal distortion is linked to a negative experience. And what you just said, playing with it, deprogramming the brain from its perception a vocal distortion is something that takes quite a while. Mm. But playing, like for me, I always have like what I call the three C. Comfort, control, and cookie. I'm all going to laugh. Why cookie? It's because you have to enjoy when you're doing that. You really do have to enjoy it to kind of reverse the perception of the brain towards yeah. vocal distortion. Undoing all those patterns. But going into therapy now, guys. <laughs> but listen, I, we, you know that we could talk about this forever, but thank you so much for coming, everyone. It's always Thank you for having me. You've been listening to High Notes. High Notes. A podcast on the art and business of voice. Thanks for joining us on this episode of High Notes. Show notes and transcripts for this and all past episodes can be found on the podcast page of brava.uk.com. To find out more about our work at Brava and receive more information and tips about the world of voiceover and voice acting, subscribe to our newsletter or visit brava.uk.com slash subscribe. Join us next time for more insights into the world of voice. Hi there.